0: Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome! We're back, Divine Nobody's podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. How you doing, Jen?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm feeling very sensitive today for some reason. Highly sensitive. Highly sensitive. Highly sensitive. I guess you could say. Hey, but that's not any difference to me. I mean, it's just one of those things I've sort of grown up with. I think that you're probably a very sensitive person. I imagine that you are. Yeah. Yeah. So all of us, to some degree, um, have that, you know, certain bouts of sensitivity just in different aspects of our life. But this episode is going to be particularly special because we're talking about HSPs. You know what HSP means, right?
0: Sure do. A highly sensitive person.
1: A highly sensitive person, which from the stats there's a few books that I've actually read um, about highly sensitive people can also maybe more simplify. It would be introverted type of person. I read this book a while back by Suzanne Kane. She had this book called Quiet. It's basically the power of introverts in a very extroverted world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she actually originally did a TED Talks, and uh, it was where she talked about introversion. But to sort of like add to the conversation today, we brought in our handy-dandy, well-versed friend, Sam Kempner. How are you doing, Sam? Great. (laughs) Sam is... uh, a close friend of mine, and we both share that sensitivity, but he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight into the subject. So I thought it'd be a really good thing to bring him on so we can all sort of wax poetic on the things that make us highly sensitive together. Yeah, I like that. As a group. How are you doing, Sam? Good?
2: Happy to be in a group on the Lord's Day. <laughs> on,
1: <laughs> on the, the Sabbath. Yeah, hopefully we don't get uh, struck down with lightning for actually working.
0: Awesome.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. Normally that's my favorite excuse to not do a damn thing on the weekend. Yeah. Is it's the Lord's day. Yeah. And I'll say that on Saturdays sometimes just to throw people off, yeah. you know, but my new excuse now is, Oh, I don't feel like doing anything because I'm highly sensitive. <laughs> yeah,
0: right? I like that. Which so true. what did you score on your highly sensitive test?
2: Well, uh, let me just tell you the test that I took, which was, um, the first test in dr elaine aaron's book called the highly sensitive person which is pretty much the manuscript or you know the quote-unquote bible for anybody just looking to get a more definitive answer on if they might be highly sensitive or how to work with highly sensitive people and also how to work on yourself um, the book it, its first chapter has a list of i think about 25 questions mm-hmm. i think it's 25 And um, they're true or false questions entirely. It's not, you know, you can't meet in the middle. It's either yes or no, very black and white, just the way I like things. And (laughs) um, I scored a 23
1: out of 25. 23. Wow. Oh my gosh. That definitively makes you a highly sensitive (laughs) person.
2: Right. (laughs) That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I read that 70% of the world that are HSPs are, or 70% of them are introverts. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, because it's easy to think that HSPs just fall into the realm of introversion, but they're actually extroverted HSPs, but only 30% of them are.
2: Right, right. It's easy to confuse the two because when I think of introvert versus extrovert, I think of, okay, how does someone derive or just sort of generate their energy, right? Extroverts, by definition, achieve and gain their energy from other people. Introverts gain their energy from being by themselves. Mm. And. You know, more often than not, HSPs can come across as introverted because mm-hmm. they absorb so much information on a sensory level and they get easily overwhelmed because of that. And they just need to be in quiet, familiar uh, places. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can be a total people person at the same time and be highly sensitive. It's just a matter of. Um, it's a matter of what we'll talk about later and how you handle your sensitivity.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. And in this book, Quiet, which is the one thing that I'm gonna reference because it really made an impact on me because I have more introverted type of qualities. Mm -hmm. And um, we all have different senses, um, since sensory organisms inside of our body, we are sensitive to sound, taste. Um, We have sensitivity to lots of different things, but it seems to like these introverted people, they actually have a gene. uh, and in them. And I don't actually know the name of the gene. I can probably get a little later, but it's basically sensitivity to all of these sensory functions. Right. And then one thing that I found really interesting about um, this is I always try and go back to the beginning about in school, because in school, um, I don't think that they specifically cater to introverted types of people. At least they, from my perspective, they didn't, they set you open to these classes. There's lots of different people there and they've more or less pride people on uh being more extroverted right group activities and there wasn't a really large field for people uh that more had more introverted qualities which is basically processing information on their own sure and in solitude Mm -hmm. and that's just really interesting there are a few um celebrities that fall into the realm of introversion that made huge impacts on our world which is eleanor roosevelt gandhi rosa parks einstein even elon musk Mm -hmm. you know they fall into that so uh, in the early days of culture, I think it was before, prior to the 20, 20, 21st century, it was more of an age of culture. So I think that they uh celebrated more those, you know, being a good person, right? And I think that after the 21st century, the culture changed to a culture of more personality. Mm-hmm. And a lot more of those role models were salesman type of people. So you had those books that were like, you know, how do you influence people? A lot of these right. books that were made by salesmen, right? So it sort of like changes the energy a little bit. It went from, I imagine like these smaller tribal type of societies into more densely populated areas where there was a lot more activity. And mm-hmm. I think a part of the industrial revolution was that people had to take on more of an, a character of being more extroverted as a way to make money.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, but... Um, as far as like my spiritual perspective of all of this is solitude is a really big part of the spiritual journey, but I also think it's a really big part of processing information. Yeah. Right. And that's one thing that you do, right. Is that how you, as far as the HSP piece, is that how you process information most of the time?
2: You mean after I've gone through something in my, on my own in solitude? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I am such a ponderer and such a ruminator. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> For better and for worse, um, it, that's a key part of the trait. And um, just just to preface this, if anybody hasn't read the book or hasn't studied up on what it means to be a highly sensitive person, um, it's not it's not a condition. It's not a medically diagnosed. Um, you know, it, it's not a condition. Uh, it's a trait. Mm-hmm. So it's considered to be something non-negative and non-inhibiting. Uh, it's just something that can inhibit a lot of people if they don't know how to work with it or if they don't get any answers so for me in particular um, when it comes to just absorbing information i absorb a tremendous amount of it in the moment because of my high sensitivity Mm -hmm. and that's also part of the reason why it was such a struggle early on Mm -hmm. because you know i'm noticing more things than the average person on a sensory level at any given moment so i feel anyway that you know more often than not that can be discombobulating it, it it can kind of shut you down on your worst of days actually yeah. so on my worst of days uh <laughs> you know in the past i would probably just sort of think about everything on my own after i'd gotten home from work or i'd gotten home from school or whatever i was doing and just really stew on it and think about it then come to my own conclusions but um you know as of right now it's a pretty healthy balance i'm absorbing yeah. everything in real time, but. Sort of delighting myself if I think of something later on in terms of how a situation might have gone or what somebody was actually saying and feeling. You know, it's it, it can go both ways. It can be, oh, I wish I said this, or oh, wait, that's what they meant. More often is mm-hmm. what I come to the conclusion of. Um, yeah. But you know, I second guess myself a lot too. Yeah. So more often than not, uh, I can I'm I'm a lot more right in terms of how somebody might be coming across or what their intentions might be than I think I am.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, those subtleties that you're noticing. Um, it sounds a lot like empaths. So, do you and I read the same book that, mm-hmm. that you um, you were talking speaking about earlier? What was her name? What was?
2: Dr. Elaine Aaron. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dr.
0: Aaron's book. So, um, yeah. So, empaths. They and she said in the book that most HSPs are also empaths, yep. but you can be HSP and not be an empath. Right. Which I think is interesting because it's kind of the same trait, you mm-hmm. know, of absorbing other people's energies and you know, kind of feeling. Um, feeling tension or feeling anxiety from another person.
2: Right. Yeah. So I right. no, thought I'm, that was really interesting. I am tremendously sensitive to that and have been for all my life. Yeah. Um, I'm not one of those people who can just like, quote unquote, suck it up yeah. or just, you know, I, I can separate myself a lot better than I used to. I don't get totally immersed in other people's feelings the way I used to. And it's because I've learned how to just sort of-
0: How do you turn it fun- off?
2: You you don't, okay. you don't, you just sort of, you sort of dial it back. Yeah, that's what you try <laughs> turn the and volume do. down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You turn the gain down a bit. So um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how, because I'm still learning. This mm-hmm. is something I've really only started working on consciously for, um, you know. I guess I've been working on it for about the past year, but only really consciously over the course of the past month and a half, because I finally have an answer. And this is something that goes all the way back to my childhood. Yeah. So. You know, starting, starting at about the age five or the, or the age of six, that's when, that's when it all really kicked in. It was present earlier, but that's when my parents started to notice, okay, something's different here because... I was just totally overwhelmed by things that you know most kids could kind of go through and work through naturally most of it was school right so right. school is an incredibly stimulating place as is any group environment especially mm-hmm. one that's just filled with people who are growing up so fast yeah you know right and kids are merciless and their mean sometimes yeah but even something as simple as like the way my chair might be creaking or something about the way another kid might be just sort of Clanking their hands on a desk next to me, even yeah. like several feet back, right? Yeah, clicking Something, a pin,
0: like anything. Anything.
2: I mean. Just certain, just, you know, that conglomeration or that confluence of um, sensory events was just too much for me to bear. And it got to the point where, like I said, I was taking so much of that in with my peers and I was taking in so much of my, so much, so, much, uh, so many of the emotions of my peers and my teachers. In noticing certain things that it just got to the point where it was like this is too much, right? So my parents took me in, and you know my parents were trying to figure out what was going on. And the first diagnosis was Asperger's syndrome, which makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense because kids and the uh, kids with you know Asperger's syndrome, which I think is still on the autism spectrum, it seems to be ever changing and widening all the time. But um, you know. Kids with Asperger's are typically highly sensitive to certain things, right. mostly just touch and smell and sounds. Sounds. Sounds mm-hmm. especially, which I'm. You, you saw me take my headphones off yeah, earlier like when the, <laughs> the screeching just went off. It still drives me nuts. But um, it made total sense too, because I didn't have any interest in uh, what other kids were doing for the most part anyway. From the moment I was capable of showing interest in something, I was just totally immersed in it and sinking my teeth into it. Yeah. So you know, highly obsessive um, at the same time, just, you know, relatively intelligent, according to parents and teachers, a lot more so than the average kid. But I've never considered myself as intelligent as much as I am aware. So I think I was just a very aware and very in tune kid. And, um, you know, that led to a lot of trouble because it wasn't conveyed to me that that was something that was... You know, it was something that I was given the title of, and it was something, therefore, that I was grown up to believe that I had. So there was a lot of my life that was calibrated to that diagnosis.
0: Yeah.
2: Despite the fact that I was still convinced I never really had that.
0: Yeah. No, you definitely (laughs) (laughs) do not have Asperger's.
2: No. Yeah. No. So that diagnosis stuck with me, and um, you know, I was taken out of regular school, and I was.
1: Shut
0: up. Are you serious?
2: Yeah,
1: so. did they put you in like a special ed sort of class too, right? Yeah, was, shut
0: the fuck up. Yeah. Oh my gosh, no, there's, there's I, just a knowing lot. you, I can't even believe yeah. that they thought that that was the right yeah. the right course of action. Sam's, so this one
1: is one of, Sam's one of the most intelligent people that I know, but I think of like back then. I mean, they wouldn't have, I guess, uh, the right diagnosis for something like that, right? And I think like Marion Williamson has that book that I think me and Sam had talked about before, called Tears of Triumph, which right. is like back then, whenever a kid sort of like ventured off from that more extroverted route, particularly the ones that they try and push through school, they automatically put you into this space of either being, um, you know, developmentally handicapped. So they put you in this room with all these people that perhaps maybe actually have those handicaps, those developmental disorders, and then you just by... You know being subject to these people start thinking that you may actually be this person correct and then uh, what they potentially do is they stick you on ssris which are you know selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors they're antidepressants basically and so your character starts being built off of this type of behavior right. which obviously when you're a kid your behavior changes a lot especially when you get onto SSRIs. so you know? and so quickly too yeah so quickly well, like-
0: they're saying that, that highly sensitive people, what it is, it's a special variation on the serotonin transporter gene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, SSRIs like would block that, that effect, yeah. you know, but by doing that, you know, you're also blocking a lot of other things whenever you block serotonin. Correct. So, yeah. um, and uh, incidentally, the gene is uh, 5-HTT-LPR. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's the one. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the one. It's like a lot of these highly sensitive people have like an overabundance of these dopamine receptors or these norepinephrine dis- receptors and even serotonin receptors. Right. Right. And maybe they, maybe they just didn't understand that back then. But I do know about schools is that um, a lot of those kids that were intelligent, I remember this guy named Kenny and he was really, he was in my science class. He I loved Kenny. The most, everybody <laughs> knows I Kenny. I don't know Kenny. Right. <laughs> and uh, every, every day at recess, he'd always have like a stack of books with him. And everybody saw him as sort of an outcast because everybody else was out there playing ball, doing whatever that kids do, Mm -hmm. running around the basketball courts. And uh, he would just read all day. And I saw him as really interesting, mainly because nobody used to speak to him. So Mm -hmm. I'd sit down next to him and I'd ask him questions. And he was a really intelligent guy, but all the stories that other kids were saying was that he was sort of weird. So I had him in science class Mm -hmm. and we were talking about the sun and the planets. And he raised his hand and started actually Talking, I don't remember the context of the question, but I remember what he was talking about. He was saying that eventually the sun will die out, mm-hmm. it will burn out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a science perspective, that's true. And um, so everybody mm-hmm. thought he was the weirdest, the weirdest response. That's so heavy. It he was just like, the, <laughs> that is yeah, heavy. I've what,
0: actually never thought of that, but that, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: guess that makes sense. I mean, for a, it won't for a long time, yeah. but like millions and millions of years, but people saw him. As just the weirdest guy. Kenny knows something.
0: Yeah. You know, Kenny knows, but he's
1: tapped in. But he was very, very interesting. So very when, interesting.
0: So, when you were in school, did you have issues with tests? Like what? test taking? Totally. Yeah.
1: I
2: hated test taking uh, primarily because. I was never interested in anything that I was studying in school. That's another thing. Yeah. So I didn't like the idea of being forced to absorb something that I didn't feel like I was ever going to be interested in, nonetheless, utilize on a daily basis. And that was that. That came more or less in high school, but in elementary school, that's the foundation of so much of what you utilize in the, you know, the regular world. So I wasn't a fan of test taking because, ultimately, of the pressure I put on myself. Mm-hmm. To take the test first of all, and to take it well, hopefully get a hundred percent on whatever I could. Yeah. And also because it felt like a literal test, I don't like getting tested for anything. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's another HSP thing apparently is HSPs have have a very hard time under pressure being, you know, pressure orienting around judgment and tests and around, you know, especially like being watched by other people in the midst of doing such a thing. And mm-hmm. if you're
0: not a good test taker in school, because that's how they gauge your intelligence, right? Yeah. And you're HSP and you're not a good test taker on top of that because you're a H- HSP and then they think that you are- <laughs> not intelligent, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's so backwards. Or have Asperger's and put you in a fucking special school. It's so That's convoluted. Crazy. I know, yeah. Yeah. I know.
1: I think for my calculation, school, at least from the very beginning, seems to be more about compliance and less about creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, because you have a very formal sort of curriculum that people have to follow and they grade your level of intelligence based off of these questions or these tests. And that, to me, is just like a very limited form of creativity. Yeah, Obviously, you didn't fall into that.
2: No, a lot of it's based on retention and recital. It's not necessarily about taking concepts and doing what you will with them. And that's the way that I feel like everybody should learn. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, of course, they should respect everything that came before them, and they should absorb the foundation in certain aspects of curriculum. But no no, no, two kids, no one kid, nobody learns the same way. Right? Absolutely mm-hmm. no one. So the idea is still to this day of, you know, if I had a son or a daughter or, you know, an unconforming, whatever the heck. Um, if, if I had a child and put them in a classroom and they were going through what I went through, I would feel like so much of their time and their life was wasted. Yeah. Depending upon how they thrived. Because some kids do. Mm-hmm. That's also goes hand in hand with my other point. Like every kid's different. Right. Yeah. But I was different in the fact that I just couldn't handle that setting. Yeah. So... What happened with getting pulled out was um, it was around fifth grade when I think I was telling you that the sensitivity really started peaking, right? Mm-hmm. So it just got to the point where I was so overwhelmed with everything. I was so overwhelmed, like even to the point where I was physically sick and getting sick from the amount of sensitivity that I was just sort of conveying and just absorbing, yeah, putting out there. And that, you know, goes hand in hand with mental health and my mental health kind of started deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where it was just so bad where I couldn't see any other life being possible because I was just so depressed. I was still so sensitive and just so on edge and just really unsure and angry about everything. And, you know, at that age, at fifth grade, I wanted to die.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. I tried that's to a, kill myself what? Cr- at fifth grade.
0: Oh my God, so, Sam.
2: That was a really big thing. And it just, you know, my parents knew something was wrong and they kept seeing it happening and happening. And one day it just got to the point where it was, this is the first time I've ever opened up, so thank you for like sharing space and oh, yeah. talking yeah, about it and God, of course. being open ears and everything. But that led to um, that led to being institutionalized for a little while because there was just so much uncertainty. There was no, right. you know, no no child should ever feel what I felt because that is such a precious and pure moment in one's life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's healthy to feel anger and it's healthy to feel frustration but it's never, it wasn't healthy at the level that I had.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And it was all coming from just not knowing how to cope with my sensitivity. Wow. So
0: so when you were hospitalized, did they figure out that, hey, you're not Asperger's, you're just highly sensitive?
2: No, no, that was, uh Much know, later in from life? From then it was just depression and anxiety, right? Okay. That's what they slapped me with. And that makes sense as well because there are two sides of HSPs. There are the HSPs who grow up with, you know, kind of a total lack of attachment to anybody and everything. Mm -hmm. And then there are HSPs who are totally overattached to everything and just sort of protected. And that's the way that I was early on. So the HSPs who are overprotected and the ones who are just sort of isolated and much more insular as Mm -hmm. people are the ones who develop the depression and the anxiety and showcase a lot of that. Got it. So that's where I was. So yeah, depression, anxiety. Okay get them on meds. And that started, you know, that was only, what are you in fifth grade? 11? Yeah. yeah. 11. So it started there. And um, yeah, that led to all sorts of different classroom settings and never really being in a normal classroom thereafter, which, you know, was really troublesome at first. And, uh, you know, I, I it was a
0: lot. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you finish out school? Did you go to a charter school? Were you... Um, homeschooled?
2: So I went through a series of private schools that were very small. And uh, by small, I mean some with as many as I think the smallest one, which was in seventh grade up until my sophomore year of high school actually was the same 12 kids. Okay. It was pretty much just somebody's house. Okay. (laughs) And uh, eventually went into another school that was around 98 kids in total. And Mm -hmm. once again, just kept getting sick of classroom settings and just... You know, the older you get, the more you can sort of intellectualize and the more you sort of start to feel like, you know, who you are and what you're going to do with your life. Mm -hmm. And um, my purpose has always been music. So I've been playing drums almost all my life since I was six. That's also part of another reason why I just never wanted to be in class. It's because I'm like, what am I going to do with this with music? (laughs) So I started to feel that especially strongly in my sophomore year and um, in my junior year, started exploring independent studies options, which I think was the best thing that ever happened to me, because that meant I could be at home and go at my pace, which was actually a lot faster than most kids because of the pressure I put on myself to get shit done. Mm -hmm. And I graduated a year and a half early with the purpose of just never wanting to focus on academia again, Mm -hmm. which sounds a little arrogant and just a little closed-minded now because I think education's important, but um, all I wanted to do was play music.
0: (laughs) I did the same thing, I graduated three years early. Good so, for you. Yeah. I graduated uh, yeah. my first semester of 10th grade. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. And I couldn't even drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was the following. So that was, I graduated in December, like right before Christmas break and, um, and started college right after that. So yeah. I was like the youngest kid in college. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah. for me actually I I, I had to drop out of school and that was due to having to take care of like a sick father but I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the the school was actually very overstimulating for me as well probably like I couldn't handle the fact that it seemed to be so divisive in the curriculum because you have people that pass with good grades and those are automatically the celebrated people on campus but then you have the kids that are probably very intelligent but had very like large difficulty with learning in the way that they wanted you to learn Yeah, and I couldn't I, I, I never I never really resonated with the fact that like it, it, they put you in categories. Just because you don't pass a test, all right. of a sudden you're treated unfairly by your teachers. And there seemed to be kind of an imbalance in how how people are treated, and I didn't like that. Maybe that was the more empath- empathetic part of me because I wanted everybody to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that teachers didn't do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't treat you equally, and they didn't go based off of whether or not you were a good person. They went strictly based off of your grades. Right. And for me, I very much had that sort of mentality of like, You know, would I realistically be able to apply this information in my real life? And there are just some things that I didn't feel like I I really needed to or would. You know, like I wasn't really good at math, which ironically, you know, uh, my professional life very much contains that. Yep. I think we both talked about that, right? Like we both have positions um, in our 3D lives that largely deal largely with numbers. And that was the one thing that, you know, as far as the school system's perspective, I didn't do well in. Yeah, I didn't
0: you know? either. I was terrible at math.
1: I'm still terrible at and math.
0: Me too. <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember the
2: exact moment it stopped making sense to me and it was in second grade. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Second
1: yeah. grade? Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the HSP, when I try and make a distinction, it almost seems like the HSP is more of like a clinical terminology for it. And I think em- empathic, the empathy part came more in, as far as like the new age Yeah. New age yeah, culture. I think the most yeah.
0: clinical
2: the most clinical term that i found so far has been sensory processing sensitivity
1: oh
0: got it I yeah. like yeah.
2: so but it, it's more or less the same you know they're
1: synonymous yeah and um it, it seems like they have more of an evolutionary advantage to some degree like if i think back of my my, my childhood a lot of the kids that were more introverted um, were the ones that were considered the loners. Mm -hmm. And some of them were in these sort of, uh, because as far as like in the nineties, those stereotypes were a little bit more widespread. You had like the goth kids, the rock kids, (laughs) and then you had the jocks and the skaters. And um, from the surface, I mean, just based off of what they look like, they were being judged absolutely. But the more creative types, like the goth kids, those, those ones that were like the metal kids, um, after school, like after everybody graduated and moved on with their lives, I had remained in contact with some of the kids from the Arizona high school that I went to and then also in um, uh, California. And a lot of the ones that were the ones that um, were jocks that were destined to do great things after school got married right after high school. Yeah, They had kids and they settled down. That's not a bad thing. Um, And then there are some that actually got really into drugs. But the one thing that I noticed was a lot of those kids that were considered the rejects the ones that were considered the loners, went on to do really big things, yep. Yeah, really big things. And what I read was that they, they seem to have an evolutionary advantage mainly because of their sensitivity to their environment. Correct. Mm-hmm. Like they're constantly scanning the environment. They do a lot of thinking before they act on anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sensitivity and that mindfulness in everything that they do gives them an advantage over somebody that just acts and then thinks afterwards.
2: And especially somebody with a higher level of emotional intelligence yeah I think that gets you so much further,
1: yeah yeah, so um, what are what are some ways that you combat being an HSP? like I mean, I wouldn't say combat, but I mean obviously we live in a very different world, although I feel like it's it's making a turn because you have people more in these positions of authority like Elon Musks right, and um, you know, obviously doing really big things that I feel like um, we're becoming more sensitive to but we still live in an environment where that sort of hierarchy exists in Mm -hmm. corporate positions. Right. So how do you deal with uh, having bosses or even having people in our workplace that are more extroverted that, you know, expect you to be that way?
2: I'm still figuring it out. Um, With me personally, I took a lot from the book Mm -hmm. and there, there are certain things in that book that go into sort of the, the analogy of the, um, the infant is used quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, you kind of view your HSP self as your inner infant and you're responsible for taking care of it. And the first step to, I don't want to call it healing necessarily, but the first step to working with it is deciding where your, where your high sensitivity was set up or how it was sort of how you were raised in it. Because like I was saying earlier, there are two sides. There are the overly attached HSPs and there are the, um, pretty much the unattached, right? Mm. And the goal with being an HSP, much like it is for everybody else, is to just constantly be at the right state of um, what's referred to in the book as arousal. So just the perfect level of sensory or just the the perfect level of stimuli, right? So everybody's everybody's definition of that is different. Uh, When it comes to HSPs, you're coming from one side or the other most of the time. And uh, with me in particular, if I'm ever starting to feel like it's creeping up, or if it's something where I feel like it's just too present and taking too much control, if we're talking, you know, in a momentary circumstance, I just kind of remind myself, "Oh, it's just this." Yeah, you've been through this. I don't even know how many times, and you're still here. So it's rem- it's a lot of self reminder, yeah. self reminding, and a lot of just um ground, a lot of grounding. Yeah. Um, another acknowledgement, an acknowledgement, acknowledgement mostly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, reframing is a really big one as well. And that's part of the acknowledgement is going, oh, well, it certainly feels like this is happening, like this jackhammer is going off, and it's driving me nuts. Or the saw back there. The saw, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh you know, if it was me two years ago, I would have been like, "Can we do this later?" The saw is going off, yeah. right? Yeah. Put those down. But um, ultimately, re- what I reminded myself of then was, "Oh well, it's bound to stop at some time, right?" Yeah. It's not going to go for literally the entire time we're trying to converse on this really important subject. Right. <laughs> so I, I just sort of insert logic into everything, and I do that in my daily life as well. I'm a really logical and very black and white person. So. Yeah. So do you um, find yourself like
0: not putting your putting yourself in certain situations like for example concerts or anything like live and it's interesting because hsps are are typically really into music correct but they don't like it to be that loud yeah yeah
2: yeah Yeah. it's i I love just life's little ironies right Uh, eric brought the point up earlier of our of our ordinary lives just sort of being sustained based upon a subject that we claim to be no good with, right? And lo and behold, I chose music and I chose one of the most dynamically hard to control instruments, the drum set first, right? That's loud AF. It's not the drum set that's loud. Oh, it's, it's not? not. It's always the person. Oh, because okay. when you think about it, drums are a naturally silent instrument. There's no amplification, right? Yeah. So the reason drums are loud is because people see drums and this primal side takes over where the first thing they feel like doing is bashing the hell out of them.
0: Yeah. Oh, so
2: people so. are loud. It's not the drums.
0: That's interesting. I totally so, relate to that yeah. because,
1: you know, I have that sungong, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's mm-hmm. the first thing people think of when you bust that sungong out at a sound exactly. bath is like, oh, you just got to run up to it and just yeah. hit it as hard as you can because that's normally how m- most people hear them on stage everybody thinks yeah. they're
2: pink floyd live at pompeii or, yeah right. yeah and i've ridiculous. had to catch a
1: few people come up there and just try and hit it as hard as like no no, no you no, don't no, do no. that yeah sort of just you gotta butter it up slowly <laughs> baby.
2: butter butter up the gong <laughs> butter that gong up yeah oh yeah God. i know i mean one that's that's the biggest irony i love music more than anything and um i've played countless shows and attended countless shows and love certain things about them and hate other things about them But once again, I've just taken myself and put myself in those environments and found ways to cope with it. Um the most important thing for me musically is performance. Um I love being in the same room as people and having all of that energy just sort of distill into one thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so underwhelming. The only thing overwhelming sometimes is the emotion that the music generates. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I I think I typically avoid crowded situations. I avoid gatherings with a lot of people at any given moment, and I avoid crowds with you know a lot of people I don't know, just as much as I do with people I do know. Yeah, because the one thing I do to give myself the ability to live in this sort of non-conforming society, or not 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 conforming, a better word be just um, unaware or just sort of slightly more aloof society, because we're not catered societally to DHS HSPs whatsoever. Mm. Right. Not at all. Uh, Not the, at all. The only thing that I do is just give myself time to do what I want and to do it alone. You know, yeah. I love my, I and I do that so I can actually do what I'm doing with you both right now, for instance. Right. Mm. So that way I don't have to worry about the saw just totally crippling me through my headphones. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah almost the, got me.
2: The ability to be here <laughs> is because of the time that I give to myself to do what
1: I want. Yeah. Right. And the, the interesting thing about what you're talking about being a musician. I mean, you can think of uh, like really famous musicians like Prince.
2: Sure. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of these people, like I think we talked about before, like the band tool, for example, inner mm-hmm. James Keenan is known to be like a really introverted person. Like they didn't do interviews for many, many years because That wasn't something that was of interest to them like they were true artists in the fact that like they just wanted to excel at their art one thing that i'm noticing though is that those seemingly introverted people have no trouble getting in front of a stage with thousands and thousands of people and i imagine it's the same thing for you where it's like you know people can see you as this sort of introverted person but second you get up on stage and you're in front of all of these people somehow it changes like how is that possible
2: I would sum it up is kind of a meditative meditative thing.
0: Mm -hmm. I
2: really would. Um, Everything disintegrates and nothing else matters except for the music in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you are expressing yourself in the most pure, open, and just sort of honest way possible. Mm -hmm. So you really lose sight of everything besides how you're feeling because of what you're doing. And you're not... You're, you're not in the same world that we're in right now. <laughs> yeah. If it's a really good show anyway, you're not. So for me in particular, I'm just reminded of how literally nothing else matters and I lock into it. You know, My yeah. attention just goes to that one thing and all of my other senses except, except for my hearing, just sort of, get, they, they take a step back. I'm very sensitive to touch still when I'm playing because I have to be dynamic. And that's where the ears come into play too, knowing whether it's too soft or too loud, but I'm very sensitive to that regardless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my point is, is that it's really hard to sum up, but it's about as close as you get to, to God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that all of a sudden everything in the material or just sort of like the physical sense of the world just takes a step back
1: yeah Mm -hmm. because you're like you're fully tapped into the creative realm right and that creative realm is like you say like the meditative state (laughs) where you're like letting that energy move like completely through you and i imagine it's very validating too because a lot of those people if you're at a show chances are they're there to see you right so they approve of you already and if they're fans of your work um i imagine it's it's much easier to be a little bit more extroverted and fully embody that creative side of yourself Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so yeah, it makes sense. I always see like people, and it was always just very um, kind of disassociating because you think somebody's one way, but then you get like Prince on stage, and he's just like crushing it. Yeah, you know. But I think you're right. I think it's a meditative thing. It's like my brother, for example. He's an um, an actor, done a lot of stage shows in San Francisco, and he's he's a very very empathetic, very introverted person. But when he gets on stage, he just becomes a completely different person. You know, and I don't know what part of that is him trying to either run away from himself um, because he, you know, people, I think people just maybe not run away from himself, but people have different ways in which they process emotions. Right. And I think for him, it was always about embodying certain characters that gave him the ability to externalize some of the feelings that he had. But nonetheless, it was a very meditative thing. And he even told me he doesn't really think a whole lot when he's up there. He's just fully engulfed in that experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very interesting.
1: I feel like they would be really, uh, HSPs would be really, really good leaders because of the fact that they are just really highly alert, very mindful of Mm -hmm. people around them.
0: Right. Yeah. The
2: best example of um, an HSP leader is probably Abraham Lincoln.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And talk about a man who was in touch with people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good,
1: Good old Abe.
0: Yeah. An honest man so what about what about clothing right so in in the book it talks a little bit about that about mm-hmm. you know hsps won't wear any type of like restrictive clothing or anything that's scratchy yeah and if they do it's has that ever happened to you oh god that maybe you got like a weird sweater <laughs> and it was just yeah. scratching the shit out of you all day yeah. and you're like oh my god i gotta get yeah. this off as 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 yeah crushing my
2: balls. <laughs> yeah but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's also that's almost as bad um yeah um that does that does happen. I was just thinking about the last. Time. I, I've I've I wear the same stuff almost all the time because yeah. of, I like the way it looks and I like the way it feels, and I have gotten new clothes or had been forced to put on something else I otherwise wouldn't normally, and the fact that it's uncomfortable takes over my entire mind.
0: Yeah, and
2: it's you know a lot of people would sort of confuse that with neuroticism, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just totally based upon sensory input and processing and. You know, I, I can't wear a shoe, for instance, if I feel like my sock just isn't pulled all the way up. I yeah. can't wear, I can't stand if my shoes are too loose, yeah, you know, the laces or anything. Like there are certain <laughs> things where as soon as those, as soon as I realize them, I'm fixated on them. Fixated, right. And I have yeah. to solve it. And it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. That's now my new focus because that's what I'm feeling the most realistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh I don't know. I'm I'm weird. I don't wear shorts ever. Uh,
0: yeah. you know I don't I wear like shorts either. I hate clothing. wearing shorts. You
2: do? Yeah. Okay. Why?
0: I don't know. I just don't like I don't, I don't, I don't wear like shorts wearing either. shorts.
1: I don't wear shirts either because mm-hmm. then you got to get into like whether or not the shoes go with the shorts and then the socks. It's just like an ordeal. Oh, yeah. But Sweet. when it's summer, I, you know, I'll, I'll sport some shorts around the house, but I'm not going to go out with some shorts. Right. Yeah, you got know. the Mark
2: Zuckerberg mentality. You're like, I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I notice, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, maybe a perfect example. He has a uniform, Yeah. Right? Like in Steve and, Jobs, and I remember reading something about that because the he turtleneck. wears like Marcus Zuckerberg wears that same sort of blue sweater, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And they say that like there's a correlation between that and intelligence. Like they don't spend too much time right. um, trying to figure out what their outfits are, right? Because they're too busy doing other things, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. But there's
1: actually this um, this quote I wanted to share It was actually from an HSP I found online, and it says HSPs find meaning and beauty in life's obstacles and use this to cultivate their resilience and empathy. We connect to joy and sorrow equally and want to feel the true authentic depth of human emotion, which I feel like is very true because Hmm. there are a lot of people Hmm. that have trouble with going really deep and processing difficult emotions, right? And I feel like more extroverted type of people they don't spend as much time introspecting and they spend more of their time maybe uh, embodying some level of action. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like making money or maybe, I mean, not to say that they're not creative, but I noticed that um, at least from my experience and my HSP side is they spend a lot of time uh, in contemplation and thinking and introspecting, Mm -hmm. right? Is that something that happens with you too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful quote.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. So what about what about the state of the world, right? So <laughs> it's, it's unsettling for just normal everyday people that, it, it just seems like with HSPs that it would be that much more upsetting. So, have you experienced like an an increase in anxiety or depression like over this past year?
2: I had a really severe bout, and it was a bout that actually resulted in me getting back on medication, uh, mm-hmm. which was in April. Okay. And um, I hadn't been on medication for a pretty long time, but uh, there was so much uncertainty and. So much vitriol being spewed by so many people and seemingly just nothing but negativity, yeah being there there was so much unknown, right? And yes. like I was saying earlier, i'm I'm always looking for answers. I'm pretty black and white. And there was so much that n- not necessarily felt out of my control, but there was still so much not known in terms of what the next day would would hold, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I was pretty affected by it, but I also saw the positives in it. Okay. And I do that with everything. Yeah. yeah, and the positives for me was okay. The po- the biggest positive was things have quiet, quieted down a bit, yeah.
0: Yeah. so
2: I don't always have to be out. I don't always have to be sort of subjecting myself to being overstimulated as much. Yeah, um, and I liked the way that traffic died down.
0: Oh yeah. That's been wonderful.
1: Yeah. It's almost like because of quarantine, a lot of people had to probably take on more traits that HSPs normally would because yeah. of the fact that everything's being closed. Right. People can't go out and party like they used to. A lot exactly. of people are being subject to their home. Yeah. And I did find comfort um, in that. And it wasn't really that hard for me to kind of navigate through. But I, I, what I'm trying to get at too is that um, I think that it, I think that we need to spend more time not celebrating, but also just like paving the way more for these type of people, because they can actually teach us a lot. Like in spirituality, you had uh, characters like Buddha, Jesus, um, and Moses, like these were all, I mean, based off of the literature, seemed to be very introverted people. Mm -hmm. They appreciated their solitude. And even Christ had a Christ in the desert moment where all these people, including Buddha, like he went on the outskirts of the city on his own by himself in order to discover who he is, in order to like touch on enlightenment. And it feels like that to me speaks to every human being needs to spend time alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they teach you a lot in these spiritual books too, which is like, you know, the capacity to love is the capacity to be alone.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: In the capacity to love is a very intense thing as well that I feel like HSPs are sort of um, given a very, uh, they're given a very good capacity of it from the get-go. That goes hand in hand with, um, you know, empathy being a very, very high trade of an HSP. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like empaths uh, could be put in their own confines or just sort of in their own sector. Right. Uh, empaths are really special as well in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think that, I, I'm more capable of love than I am of hate because of just how much I feel for other people in general, but also mm-hmm. because of just how many possibilities I see in terms of uh, light coming from darkness yeah. and because of how much I've been through. Yeah. So that's sort of what, you know, one of my really good friends told me a long time ago that I had a propensity for finding silver linings. And I just never thought about that Yeah. ever because that was just the way that I thought. And, you know the more i think about it and the more i realize just how much negativity is being spewed like i was saying but also just sort of focused on like negativity is now the conclusion of so many different people's thoughts and so many people's day to day in circumstances and rightfully so you know like just another thought that i had when traffic died down was oh well this is nice people aren't on the road but then i the, the other thought i had was well how many cars aren't on the road because people are staying at home like they should be, or because the people who used to drive are dying. Yeah. Like that was a thought that I had just kind of as a sensitive person. And that's also a thought that I just, you know, that those are the kinds of things that are always going through my mind right. based upon who I am. And uh, I think love is just so much more powerful and than hate, but at the same time uh, a healthy batten No, let me see if I can rephrase that. Love is extremely powerful, but Uh, I really appreciate the cautiousness that I have with people now because of my sensitivity.
0: Yeah. So how, how has this affected you socially? Well,
2: like relationships,
0: relationships, like not just, not just romantic relationships, but with friends as well,
2: with friends as well. I'm pretty selective with who I bring in. Mm -hmm. They have to be somebody who is caring. They have to be somebody who, you know, I I want the same things everybody else does. I just don't want to be surrounded by douchebags. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
2: Amen. So, and that goes for partners as well. Um, that goes for colleagues, you know. Yeah. Uh, I just look for people who are stable and I look for people who are open-minded. I Like mm-hmm. I was saying, my wants are pretty much the same as everybody else's, but don't ever try and get me to go out to the bar every night.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Or um, watch a scary movie or.
2: Yeah. Or just, you know, don't get me to do anything that, you know, might just sort of make me
1: never want to see you again. <laughs> right. I wonder how many people are going to come out of this quarantine, Um Uh, noticeably more HSP than they were before.
0: Yeah.
1: Well,
2: yeah, I wonder too. I mean, I don't think, I think it would be a lot different if we were under orders that countries like Italy were under, for instance, where you were Mm -hmm. just absolutely isolated. And if you tried to break out of that isolation, you'd be imprisoned. Mm -hmm. People would come back with quite a bit of shell shock into the real world and realize just how stimulating it is, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, but in terms of people who've been working from home, who haven't had to worry about a commute. I mean, people are going to realize just how much they enjoy about pre COVID life once it returns or, you know, post COVID life. Yeah. And they're also going to realize how much they appreciated with things being just a little bit more quiet.
1: Yeah. yeah. I've spoken to actually a few people that were more extroverted that spent a lot of their time going to EDM shows and like going out with their friends. And I've spoken to them recently and they aren't even sure if they want to go back to that life. And the one thing that I gathered from it was that it was a lot of it was pressure due to peers. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you know, I remember that feeling like on Friday nights, like there's a multitude of different things that you can do, especially if you live in LA. Right. Where it's like, oh, I can go out and hang out with this friend. I can go out and this friend. And there's this sort of major... Mm-hmm uh, FOMO that you feel, um, from, from that, that pressure to go out and do stuff. And it was funny. My friend actually coined a different phrase, which is, um, um, she said not FOMO, but it was, uh, uh, it was, it was a different, I'm gonna have to come back to it. was like FOMO. <laughs> it was like, instead of fear of missing out, it was like something called LOMO, like a love of missing out.
0: Yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I like it.
1: Yeah, but I, I don't think that people are going to come back. I mean, I think there are some people that are going to realize that it was conditioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there are going to some people that are going to be like, man, I actually love being home. Like, I love staying home.
2: Yeah, yeah and this really is really, yeah. I mean, especially when you're older and you just realize that your needs are being met and your needs are actually pretty simple. They come from being with somebody that you love in a space that you feel is safe. Yeah, and with people that make you feel safe. But just to segue back a little bit to you know talking about just things that you do to sort of protect yourself. It's also mm-hmm. really important to challenge yourself as an HSP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really important to put yourself out there and face those things that sort of just over arouse you. Yeah. So you can't just spend your whole life in a shell or just in a bubble. That's right. no way to live. And you only, you know, depending upon what you believe, you only get one life. At least this is the only life of this life. Yeah. So it's really important to face those things and not look, you know, they feel like fears at first, but but eventually you'll realize that they were over complications or just, um, you know, they. You, you can't spend your life away from those things. You have to, I don't want to say confront them, but you have to face them, I right. guess. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's- learn to love them and be able to exercise those reframing tools and yeah. the ability to care for your inner infant. And
0: So where did you learn the reframing technique? Did you get that through therapy or?
2: That was through the book.
0: Through the book? Through oh, the interesting. Book.
2: Okay. The definition is from the book, but it's something I've been doing for a long long yeah. time just naturally. And yeah. um uh, it's more conceptualized and more thorough and I think uh better utilized if you learn from the book. You yeah. can learn. It's just more concise and positive uh, than a lot of than the way a lot of other people do it, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm always trying to psych myself out. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: you talked a little bit earlier about uh, about conflict and being it making you physically ill. So HSPs don't typically do well with conflict or criticism. So how are you managing that?
2: That's a good question. Um, Yeah, I mean, conflict is still, conflict is interesting because I only wanna step in when I feel like it's entirely necessary. And I feel like a lot of the conflicts that people generate just aren't because they're usually over things that don't matter and will eventually Mm -hmm. just sort of fade as your life goes on. Yeah. So. You know, I, I guess it's not that I'm non-confrontational, it's just that I'm very picky about what I confront on because it's it's an important thing.
0: I pick your battles. I yeah. pick my battles. Yeah.
2: Um yeah. in terms of criticism, I mean, I used to I, I used to have a really hard time dealing with it because I felt like all of my criticisms were coming from a place of dishonesty and lies. Yeah. <laughs> that was a little bit of my ego talking, but I I've always been very good about listening to criticism and I never let that just sort of get to me because more often than not, I realize the things people are criticizing me on are things that I actually like about myself yeah. that they don't understand or perhaps they wish they had.
1: Yeah, I'm, I remember when I was uh, at, oh, I worked for Kaiser for a long time, but they had us do these um, these sort of like team building exercises where they'd have somebody come from outside that were, maybe worked for Myers-Briggs or something like yeah. that We they did personality <laughs> yeah. tests. Uh-huh. And so they did this exercise with us in a room where they had all of us stand in this line and everything, everybody to the left was introverted and more withdrawn, more conflict avoidant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then all the people to the right were more the alpha types, like the more extroverted people. Right. And um, I was obviously at the very end, the more avoidant. <laughs> yeah. And then there were the, the more managerial type of positions, they were more to the right. Mm-hmm. And um, at first I thought, okay, well, this is obviously very divisive. We all think entirely different, but mm-hmm. they said that each side needs each other. Mm-hmm. right that you have the more alpha types that can develop help help the more introverted avoidant types develop more resilience and that, that's the one thing i think that you mentioned was just finding finding a good balance like i don't think it's about just being completely avoidant of conflict because then you are subject to being walked on by people right yeah you know you're you're and, I, and that's something that i have experienced too and i think it's just about like developing healthy boundaries developing developing healthy boundaries for yourself and knowing when to set those boundaries with people that aren't respecting perhaps your HSP qualities. And I've had to do that. And it's been really difficult for me because I've been one of those people that does avoid conflict. Like I want everybody to be happy, but there are just some people out there that want you to be unhappy.
2: Correct. Including yourself. Um, A lot of HSPs suffer from tremendous self-doubt and a really bad self-image and a total lack of Mm self-esteem because once again I was saying we live in a society that's not just set up for us ubiquitously. Right. Uh, So when you view yourself as not normal, when you think you know what normal is, normal Mm -hmm. doesn't exist, but when you think about it um, and you realize that you aren't, it, you put a lot of doubt and a lot of pressure on yourself and you don't even know how to become what you think is normal because you just are the way you are. You can work on yourself so much more in the meantime, but eventually you realize you don't want to be normal. You don't want to be something that doesn't exist. Nobody's normal. Mm -hmm. But um. Got a little, got a little lost in my thought there. I I think what's interesting
1: about, um, I guess the informational age that we're in is that children, especially children in school elementary school, high school, they have access to more information now than they did before. Oh yeah. Right. And I'm noticing that like kids now, and I've had, I've had conversations with kids these days, like they're starting to question the things that they're being taught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. They're trying, they're like Christopher Columbus was an asshole you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and the whole, the true meaning behind Thanksgiving. And I think that speaks to um, something really huge, which is that like, I feel like um, the, the, the schooling system is being challenged in a lot of ways. And I think that we're getting to a place where that division is starting to sort of uh, probably dissolve a little bit. And I think because we have these people in these positions, these higher positions that are doing big things like, you know, Elon Musk and, and Apple, they're all driven, Mark Zuckerberg's like, these are noticeably introverted type of people. I think that more HSPs and introverted people have more of a platform, or at least they're starting to to build towards that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, um, I pulled up this list because I thought it was really interesting about um, 11 little things that overwhelm highly sensitive people. And the very first one is totally Eric. It's 100% him. Shallow or meaningless conversations
1: uh, <laughs> overwhelm highly sensitive people. I think, that would, be, I think people. that would be Sam too. Because I yeah. know Sam mm-hmm. and me and him, we have conversations that you know go in durations of over probably one or two hours. We have to check the time, especially when we've got stuff to do. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like you—we're trying to always delve meaning in just life, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. that—that's sort of like, hey, how was the drive, or what was the freeway like? It's like there's How's not really because it's like we. I think I think for me, it's like I—I'm really interested and fascinated with people, like their stories and their journeys. Mm-hmm. And I assume that like they—they—they they, they have something really beautiful inside of them that they can share. That's yeah. really personal to them, and I want to know about them as people, like their perspective of life. Yeah. And I know when somebody, and you know, when somebody comes up to you at work and they're there, and I, I go through this all the time. I think maybe you might go through this too. When somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, Sam, how you doing? I assume that they really want to know how I'm doing. Yeah. And I assume that's just sort of like an invitation to tell you about how I'm really doing, but it's not really it's the nice. case. Yeah, yeah,
2: I'm a little cynical. I assume the opposite most of the time now. <laughs> and uh, I try to never ask that question you know, mm-hmm. I, try, I. I It's not because I don't like. I care. I'm like that. I'm exactly the same way. No. If I ask you that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I shouldn't say I never try to. I should say that I very selectively ask. Yeah. Because <laughs> most people take that as just like an empty thing. They go, yeah. okay, you really don't. Do you really want to know? I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't want to tell you how I am <laughs> fucked up right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's I, I. 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 I've never. Let's see. I. It took me a really long time. To respect and accept small talk.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It took me a long time to respect talking to anybody about anything I wasn't interested in. Yeah. And now I'll talk about anything and everything with somebody and I don't mind small talk. And I appreciate small talk because I believe small talk is the gateway to big talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it is. I that's
2: think true. The, the big talk is like what you and I had from the get go. And you're so grateful when you could just go right to big talk with somebody, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. That's the goal. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Like, yeah. <laughs> you and I did that immediately. Yeah.
1: But I agree with but, you. I agree with you. Like I, I, I do agree that small talk gets in, into big talk and I do understand that there are some people that are reluctant to share their emotions oh, yeah. and for them I'm that, that is just mm-hmm. that 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 is sort of like the the introduction to what you say like is a big talk and right mm-hmm. i thought about this with sports actually because men are just unanimous for not really being comfortable with sharing their emotions. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with sports, they have sort of a platform where they can connect without actually saying anything personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You that's know? so yeah, interesting. That's I've and
0: never thought about that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So
1: you have these teams and everybody picks a side. Mm-hmm. And the way that I, I've seen it, it's just like, like dudes in the wild you know what I mean if you see them and they're talking about sports and they're just sort of like egging each other on but also picking at each other at the same time but it's okay because you're doing it behind the backdrop of sports yeah Mm -hmm. and I noticed that that's just how they connect and I imagine that sort of paves the way for probably a deeper connection
2: and I think it's always like let me preface this by saying I think it's totally everybody needs to learn that it's okay to cry yeah and through that platform it's totally okay but I feel like it's always been okay yeah, you yeah. know, if you cry because your favorite team loses or because they win, that's just a universally accepted thing and that's probably why most guys are drawn towards it, right? Because yeah. like you said, they can express themselves freely. Yeah. And
1: yeah.
0: So, I have a burning question. Mm. Do your parents regret the way that they handled you as a child? Have you had conversations with them?
2: I have, and do they regret it i think they regret some things i think they have probably more regrets than they do just sort of acceptances yeah and really i would only you know i don't i i think that in all honesty in you know with many cases like there's a couple of ca- couple of cases in, in the book that are like mine um at the end of the day What I learned was they were really just doing the best that they could. Yeah. Yeah. They did a hell of a lot and they were really present and really just sort of diagnostic and really attentive
0: and just really trying to figure it out, really just figuring trying to out figure figuring whatever out whatever's going to help you.
1: Yeah. No parent really knows how to do the child raising thing. Everybody, all the kids are so different, you know? Yeah. And so it's like their, their attempt to like move you into different areas of the school or maybe even um, give you medication is their attempt to solve a problem. Right. So I feel like there's a, a, a willingness to want to help in some way. Right. But it may not always be the best thing.
2: Yeah, we talk about it, and it's always heavier for them than it is for me now. Yeah, believe it or not, um, they were obviously older and so much more conscious than I was at the time. So perhaps they remember more than I do. But mm-hmm. I remember a lot, and I remember things pretty vividly. And I'll talk with them about it. And when I do, they'll go, "Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly how it went down," and, um, or that's exactly where you were at this time, and that's what you were doing. Like I'm on the same page with a lot. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, nobody wants to learn that they put that much time and effort in probably money into something that didn't work. Right. Right. And it did work because at the end of the day, I am who I am and I love myself. Yeah. And, uh, I can say that honestly now for the first, you know, for like one of the first periods of my life. So if I hadn't gone through those things, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, I, I think I'm pretty interesting and, uh, my standards are set accordingly and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I feel like I'm living a pretty rich and fulfilling life because of what I went through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, and
2: I think that I've told them that and they've cried and Aww, <laughs> you know, got through that's that.
0: awesome. Yeah. So, that's good.
2: Yeah. They don't punch themselves up or beat themselves up about it nearly as much as I think they, or they used to and mm-hmm. neither do I.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so are there any other little quirky things that bother you as an HSP?
2: Yeah. Um, sound. Uh, I've been sleeping with earplugs since I was like five. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I can't sleep in a room, even if I'm hearing like the neighbors cr- creaking upstairs, and that's something we have the best inside jokes about. I
1: don't know the potato sack race yeah, is upstairs. It's oh ridiculous. my gosh, yeah, that's a thing.
2: My neighbors are not HSPs. I wonder uh, who wins. Yeah, <laughs> no one. It's an ongoing,
1: ongoing game that goes on upstairs.
2: Yeah, just constantly stomping. Um, I have to sleep in a you know, sleep is a big thing, and sleep is something that HSPs tend to need more of than non-HSPs. Yeah, and I've learned that and find. Accepted that. Like I need eight hours. If I don't get eight hours, I'm gonna be a blob. And uh so sound at the same time, rooms gotta to be totally dark. Yeah. You know, um, and preferably cold. Yeah. I hate heat.
0: Hate sweating at night. Oh, that's yeah. the worst. I,
2: I don't like summers. Yeah, I like winters, I like fall, I like I like to be able to wear a jacket and feel like I'm you know, just another layer on top of me. It just feels yeah. safe. Um but you know, despite those things, I'm not going to have an anxiety attack over it if it's out of my control. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where I know what I need, okay.
1: but yeah. Do you, do you notice that um, your behavior and maybe the way that you go about problem solving or introspecting changes based off of the season, like say it's in winter for me, I become a little bit more introspective and I kind of tend to be a little bit more withdrawn during the summer times. So Has yeah. that happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the op.
2: I, yeah, I'm more outgoing and more energetic, and I feel like just more alive in the winter as opposed to the summer. Yeah. And there's just something about, you know, I'm sensitive to light too. Yeah, yeah I'm mostly sensitive to heat. And you know, lo and behold, I chose to live in the San Gabriel Valley, where you know it's on average four to six degrees hotter every day in the summer than it is just, you know, further west. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I, it's just more of a sensory or sensorily exhausting experience in the summer for me than it is in the winter. Yeah. And also everything kind of slows down in the winter. You know, there yeah, aren't as many t- there aren't as many people traveling. Um, it just seems like Because of the
0: holidays people are like kind of focused on that and shuffling around and I
2: think winter's a more an introspective time for everybody yeah. and I mm-hmm. think summer is a very um experience-based point of the year for everybody.
0: Totally. So so when you were talking about your neighbors upstairs, yeah. <laughs> that make all the Fucking noise. Neighbors. have you guys seen that Geico commercial <laughs> of the cloggers? The so cloggers? Yes.
1: Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Explain <laughs> it's it to me.
0: hilarious. It's a, uh, yeah. So there's a, a, a family that lives upstairs and it's like five people and they all practice clogging <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like dancing together. It's mm-hmm. so one of those and Swedish
1: then, things when they're just like clanking the yeah, yeah. with their wooden shoes. And yeah, then yeah, the couple shoes.
0: in the, in the apartment downstairs are like, fuck, you know, <laughs>
1: that's basically like that. <laughs>
0: it's they insane. You might
1: as well be like that.
2: Yeah. yeah you remember funny. that time when he was, um, what was he doing? He was sawing something at two o'clock in the morning in the carport.
1: Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Get out of here. No. Yeah. Is you know, that important? You know, it was that yeah.
0: important. <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh, bless you guys
1: do you have a, what else what else is on that list jen
0: um there's a couple other things so let's see um too many people around at one time mm-hmm.
2: yeah because there's so much information coming at me and, yeah. and yeah. it's not necessarily from even like the standpoint of communication like obviously if you have a lot of people talking at once there's so much information being passed and put into the ether that it's a lot to absorb and try and pick what you want to focus on yeah but Even just like the sheer physical presence of somebody in their aura and their body language and uh, just their physical sense of being is enough information to throw at me and just make me go, okay, I need to dial back.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of um, The View, that show. I cannot fucking watch that show. I haven't seen it. I don't think most people can watch it. I, and it's people love this right? show. It's a talk show, yeah. and, and it's these women sitting at a table and they're all talking over each other and yelling uh, at each other. I hate other. that. I it's, hate that. It's like being
1: that. at your uncle's house and like listening to your aunties just. Screaming about politics and yeah. things like that. That's Catherine. what it reminds me of. Oh, it has God. that sort of like southern I mean it has that kind of southern vibe, right? Like southern aunties- yelling really. at no. each other. No. Is,
2: isn't Whoopi Goldberg on yeah, there? Yeah, she's on there. It's just yeah. a bunch of it's just a bunch of celebrities who have gotten together and you know their sole purpose to get paid is to talk over each other about meaningless shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. if yeah, I, I feel like my eternal hell would be just being stuck in a room with like a really like a couch that's way too soft and a TV. <laughs> that's like half staticky and forced to watch the view force being forced <laughs> to watch the view. with some clogging going
0: on yeah. upstairs. Oh wow. So uh, the next thing on the list was clothing, which we already talked about yeah. um, and then noise and even the sound of someone chewing. Does that oh, bother yeah. the shit out of yeah. my husband? He can't stand it.
2: Yeah. That's a specific um, that's a specific condition. Actually, I forget what it's called, but, if you are totally just caught off guard or just made uncomfortable by the sound of somebody, what is it? I think it's like, yeah. If some by the sound of somebody masticating,
0: yeah, <laughs> oh, masticating? masticating, that is oh, such a disgusting yeah, word. I know,
1: right? but that's Means the best to chew. word. Yeah, oh. then you oh, caught, caught them masticating. You caught them masticating. Yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I gotta tread carefully
1: with that one because no. it will. Be, if someone will misunderstand what you're saying. Oh
0: yeah, that way. <laughs> Feel like you mean <laughs> masturbation. Oh my gosh. That just went on my list of most hated words.
1: Yeah. It's uh, up there
0: with moist and
1: yeah, moist. <laughs> oh man. I've oh, seen sorry. actually a documentary a long time ago of like people that have legit phobias of the word moist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm you I'm say and then they start cringing out yeah. it's right up
2: there with people who have a fear of styrofoam. Like people are so interesting and so vast in terms of what makes them afraid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hate those sounds. I always have. And I always will. And I can't eat dinner with my dad mm-hmm. <laughs> because my dad is, I, my, you know, when it comes to my, generally speaking, if you are an HSP, you probably inherited it from somebody and mm-hmm. my mom took the test and she answered 21 out of 24. Oh, wow. And she and I are, aren't that much alike, which is an even more interesting thing. Yeah. So interesting. she took that test and my dad hasn't yet. And I'm not sure if my dad is or not, but, uh, I cannot eat. I can't be eating dinner or like snacking with him if he's eating anything crunching because he crunches like a fucking horse. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, and I've told him and he just doesn't get it. Yeah. And you know, my brother's the same way when he chews or like just anybody who just doesn't keep their mouth shut while they're opening. Just like
1: I'm noticing. For there, like that's an older generation that does that. Oh yeah, I notice like older older people they sort of clean Is their teeth after oh they my yeah they eat yeah. Oh. that's
2: it's my dad. <laughs> yeah,
1: like and I think that there are some cultures um, that. It, it's it, it it's sort of like a it's something that they do after they eat in order to like affirm to the other person that it was good. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. The That's same right. thing with
1: like throwing the plate at you and yeah. different different types of shit like mm-hmm. that. I actually had a coworker years ago, and she wasn't um, she isn't working in in my organization anymore, but that used to drive me crazy. It went legit drove me crazy for like three years. Yeah. The way she would eat. The way uh, every every day at noon. Uh, after she got done eating lunch, she cleaned her teeth. Oh, and it was, oh, a, it was the craziest, crazy thing. Uh. And she knew it, but she just sort of she coined it off as like, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, uh, it's just a habit." And I'm like, "No, you can't be doing that.
2: Take your habits somewhere else. <laughs> you
1: can't be doing that. You can't
2: be, you can't doing, be, that. You can't
1: be doing that right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not getting paid to clean those gums. Yeah, you can't oh be doing my that. god, <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. Exactly. Go do You're not that getting in the paid to like, why are you doing that exactly. at your <laughs> desk? That's know. You got the right to floss." you have the right to party, but you don't have the right to, to, to clean your teeth, man. Your yeah. cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's disgusting. So next on the list is uh, mental exhaustion from all the overthinking we do. Mm. So do you get emotionally exhausted? Yeah. yeah. There's
2: a bit of a hamster wheel going on up there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> my emotions are the hamster and you know, yeah. Uh, that, that one is particularly near and dear to my heart. Um, It's something I, it's something that I love now and just have learned to live with and just sort of reframe, Mm
0: -hmm. you
2: know, constructively, but the amount sometimes, yeah, you just feel like your engine's running just, I don't know. It feels like you're, it feels like you have a V8 and you're just trying to drive it in a way that you only could with a V12, Yeah, you know? Uh, that's if we're talking engines, that's the way it feels. Um, or you have a V12 and you know, all of a sudden it's just crunching down to a V4. Yeah. You're it, just so overwhelmed. Um, I'm always thinking about stuff and I'm always processing a lot of information and, uh, f- from an emotional standpoint, yeah, I think it can be exhausting depending upon the subject, especially if it revolves around other people.
0: Yeah. So what know? about from a physical sense too? Cause that's next on the list is like exercise or lack of sleep, how that affects you. I mean, you talked about the lack of sleep, but exercise specifically.
2: Exercise specifically and how that affects me. I mean, I am an avid walker, and I love the feeling of being exhausted after a really big stroll. And mm-hmm. that sounds so like old Manny of me, <laughs>
1: especially when you use the word stroll. Stroll, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm taking a
2: fine stroll, going for a nice think in your yeah. trousers. A good think. In My trousers. <laughs> I am wearing trousers. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't particularly. I, I, I like to be active, but mm. I don't like to do anything too strenuous. And uh, I don't know. Like I think. I hate being sedentary, but I'm not against exercise. I used to work out a lot and it did mm-hmm. a lot of really, it did a lot of bene- a lot of good things for my mind. Mm-hmm. It really took those thoughts and just sort of that hamster wheel momentum and slowed it down a bit, and yeah. presumably because of endorphins. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not particularly sensitive to that. Um, what was the other point you brought up? It was exercise oh, and, and, sleep. and sleep.
0: Yeah, lack of sleep.
2: Lack of sleep um, is something mm-hmm. I can really not deal with that well depending upon what I have to do when I haven't gotten sleep. Mm -hmm. So if I'm doing something I love, it's a lot easier, but I still feel those, I still feel the symptoms and the presence of a lack of sleep really strongly. Uh So even if it's as simple as something for me, is like getting a half an hour to 45 minutes less than I would on a normal night, Uh because I'm so routine based, Uh, like I feel that. And I feel that in my mind, like my head starts to get heavier and I feel what is kind of like just a never ending unnerving pressure in the front of my head. Interesting. And I also feel like my eyes are really tense and there's a lack of blood flow to my face.
0: Okay.
2: It's really specific, but I've just tried to pay attention to these things based upon the circumstances and they're omnipresent. They're always coming up. Um, And I just feel like I can't put words together. And um, I start to deal with what I think is like cinematic haze. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So it feels like you're looking at things through a camera eye.
1: Right. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Even you know, you know I learned about sleep that I didn't know for a long time is like because I used to do really long nights, like uh, two or three a.m. I'd stay up, uh-huh. and you think like the next day that if you just sleep like an extra five hours, five oh, or six yep. hours, that it you would be good. Doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't never. work like that. Yeah,
0: you can't it, catch up. It just straight
1: up takes like an entire week, uh, maybe even more than that, in order to get your circadian yeah. rhythm back. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can take a long time depending upon how old you are and, once again, how sensitive you are. Yeah. Because yeah. some people just snap right back into it, right? And they're like, yeah. let me at him. Another day I'm going to kill. So, yeah, I think that um, it's something that I've tried to experiment with and something I've come to the conclusion that I just need. Mm-hmm. And I feel it in every part of my be- my body. And uh, I feel it in my sense of emotions and sensitivity as well. Yeah. So I feel like I'm even more sensitive when I don't get sleep. Okay.
0: Well, what about mm. hunger? Does hunger affect you? You hunger get hangry? Is, you know me. Yeah.
1: I <laughs> um, get that hangry? Uh-huh.
2: I, get, I get hangry, man. Uh, or I don't know about hangry. I just get really sensitive. Uh, I'm thinking back to one of the first weeks I had at my current job and... Uh, still was getting used to the whole nine to five thing and got really hungry at one point in the afternoon, like early, early afternoon, just super hungry to the point where I couldn't focus. And it felt like my body was about to shut down and keep in mind, I had eaten breakfast. I wasn't fasting or anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything and my mood, totally changed. All of a sudden I was unintentionally just short and just sort of, I don't, I, I wasn't flippant. I was being respectful, but the change was noticed immediately. With my coworkers yeah. were like, "Are you okay?" It was like almost like they thought I was diabetic, and my blood sugar yeah. was just crashing or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, when my when I am hungry, like that also goes in every fiber of my being. Yeah, and it's I am not a I, I love to eat. I just love really good food in general. Me
0: too. Yes,
2: I am kind of a foodie amongst my friends and my colleagues, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't get that hungry. But when I do, it's just totally. Like I don't have a big appetite, Mm -hmm. but.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sam told me about this uh, award-winning Mexican restaurant a while back that had, uh, I guess, voted LA's best bean and cheese burrito. Wow! Yes, yeah, and I went on this journey over with him to to what was it like? Some area in L.A. East L.A. East L.A. In order yeah. to find this place, what was it called? La Azteca. La Azteca. Which mm-hmm. I recommend going, Jen. Sounds it was. Good. Uh, we we had a rating system. We tried the bean and cheese burrito. Waited in line, and after we had it, we had this. You know, we rated from zero to ten. And, and I it think you you did like a hard nine, right? Or did you do a ten?
2: So for the bean and cheese specifically, I think I was somewhere around like a nine point three. Uh-huh. and eventually got it up to a 10 because I've never missed anything more after it was gone. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah. the chili relleno was excellent too. Ooh, like that had everything. I love but I think I bumped it up just because of how unbelievably impressed I was with the tortilla. It's like, how often do you have a tortilla? And you're like, oh my God. It was oh,
1: handmade. If yeah, if it
0: they're was, homemade. It was
1: handmade. You can yeah. tell.
0: Yeah, you and can that, tell they're, mm. it's completely
1: different. Yeah, mine was the same thing as I think I was at like a eight and a half or nine, but While I had it, but I think it was like a day or two afterwards. I was talking to Sam in retrospect. I'm like, man, I really, really enjoyed that burrito. I spiked it up to, I think, a Mm -hmm. 9.5. You started
0: salivating thinking about it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely worth having.
0: We have, uh, we actually have a Michelin uh, Mexican restaurant right down the street.
1: A Michelin style one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I wonder how different that is.
0: And I've never been there. I need to go. That's like right here in SoCo. Oh, nice. mm -hmm. I want it. So I'll let you know. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming in. If you had one thing to leave with our listeners, what would that be?
2: Take the test. Take the test. (laughs) Read the book. Yeah. Find out. uh, Just always just if just think about this being more of a benefit than not even that. It's a trait. It's a neutral thing, but Mm -hmm. be grateful and uh, be aware. Sensitivity is power.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and being uh, cognizant uh, and aware of it is power.
1: Yeah. I think that that's really. And I think it like it's it, it, a good place to start, especially if you're a family that has children. Is just like validate your child's feelings, you know, just because they have this sort of like sensitivity inside of them. Because that's one thing that I remember when I was a kid, where it's like, oh, stop being so sensitive. Yeah. Stop being a little pussy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like buckle yeah. up, especially when you're a man.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it gives you this sense that there's something wrong with you. Right. You have to like go and join the, the softball team in order to justify your manhood. I think the the narrative is changing for masculine men where I feel like a lot of them are healing those sort of wounds. But it's like if you're a kid or if you're, you're a parent, and you have kids like validate your child's feelings. If he happens to be more emotional, more sensitive, like, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, adjust validate to that. that mm-hmm. Adjust to
1: that. Yeah, find his strengths in that. Montessori that shit. Montessori yeah. yeah, that shit. And one more thing:
2: <laughs> uh, don't try and dilute your sensitivity. Um, a lot of people who are highly sensitive just don't know how to cope with it, so they try and alter their consciousness through drugs and through yeah. alcohol and through. Yeah. Other things to an excessive degree, Mm -hmm. depending upon how smart you are, you never let yourself get over to the edge. Like for instance, with me, I love craft beer yeah, and I never drink to the point to where I'm numb because that's not what I want to be. And I also know how it feels to be hungover and I never want to feel that way because I probably (laughs) feel that 10 times as hard as an on HSP, right?
0: I'm feeling a hangover today myself. Oh God.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, if you were me, you probably wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah. There's no way you could. So... Yeah, uh, if you have just embrace what you have, harvest it, cultivate it, and use it for the purpose of just being your most authentic self and a better person.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank Um, you.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice. It was
0: great to have you.
1: Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, no problem. We'll have you back, of course. We had you on one of our episodes prior in the past. And we'll have you on again. That's right. Yeah. Sam always has really good insight, Jen. Yeah, he, he knows does. what's up. Yeah, feels the world in a really sensitive way. He's got a lot of insight to share with with us and our and our peeps.
0: That's right.
1: So we'll have him back in. Absolutely. And then we'll we'll let you know if anybody that's listening, yeah, if you uh, want to hop on, or it's probably the end of it. But if you want to take a look at the episodes on on YouTube, you can go on YouTube, find our videos there. You can like and subscribe to all the things. We're also on Instagram. Go ahead and give us a follow. Yeah. Send us a message. Absolutely. We put some good shit on there.
0: Yeah, we do. And there's a great website that I was looking at for highly sensitive people. It's um, the highlysensitiverefuge.com. So oh. if you want more information, that's a great, great place to go.
1: Yeah. Till next time. Namaste, friends.
0: Namaste, friends.